Hello, everybody, and welcome to the You Thought Media Sportscast, the best sports podcast which shares a name with the trivia team from January 2019 at O'Rourke's Public House in South Bend, Indiana. You might think that we'd be good at sports trivia, and you'd be right. I'm Lucas Mason Moyer, and alongside me, as usual, are Jared Ludecker, Nathan Lewis, and today we will be joined by special guest Montana Giordano, broadcasting all the way from Alabama. So, Jared, with our special guest here today, what will we be talking about? So, we'll welcome Montana by starting out with a discussion of the idea of Notre Dame joining a conference and whether the Fighting Irish need to join one, but also exploring, exploring whether it will help or hurt Notre Dame. Then we'll take a look at another problematic, in air quotes, playoffs with the <laughs> NBA playoffs format and see how we can fix that one after we fix the college for- football format a few weeks ago. They implemented our then, changes. Yeah, I was glad to see those <laughs> changes go through. They were listening, I heard, <laughs> and now they've changed the playoff format. Pretty and, cool, yeah. And then inspired by the incredibly relevant Super Bowl win of Nick Foles and the Eagles, uh, we're going to talk about... And, and also his recent benching again. We're going to look at some of the best career backups in the history of sports. And we'll he's only good when he plays for the Eagles. <laughs> if he plays for any other team, he's terrible. But he plays for the Eagles, he's the next Joe Montana. There's no in-between for this man. And then we will cap it off with our rants. And Montana will even join in and give a fiery rant of his own. So we're really excited. But no, Lucas is going to kick us off with the Notre Dame discussion. All right, so, point. I think that Notre Dame should join a conference. And I'll give a couple-minute explanation of why. A couple minutes might be a bit of an exaggeration. I'll give you some points as to why, and then we'll open it up for discussion. I think it is of Notre Dame's benefit to join a conference for the purpose of making the playoff because it gives them that extra game as a fallback if they lose a game during the regular season. As we're at now, Notre Dame really only can make the playoff. The committee has shown if it goes 12-0. and um, which means they don't have that extra game to test themselves. And being a conference champion helps you get in over a non-conference champion. If we look at 2015-16, Oklahoma made it um, an 11-1, and even though they had one less win than Iowa, who was 12-1 because they won their conference championship. There have only been two cases in which Power 5 teams have made it to the playoff without winning the conference championship, um, and that is Alabama, uh, in Ohio State in 1617, and that's only because the rest of the teams um, below them had two losses. There were no other one-loss teams. So I will argue that I think if Notre Dame wants to have a better shot at making the playoffs, it needs to join a conference because that's just what the committee wants, and you got to give them what they want in some situations. I will hear any arguments to the contrary, or I will let you laud me with applause and just tell me how right I am. All the praise, yeah, yeah. No, I I think, I don't have strong feelings either way. I think that it's a pretty ingrained part of Notre Dame that they're independent, and I think for it to actually change, it's going to take a year where Notre Dame goes into the, you know, the playoff selection with one loss as the team that's just barely on the outside for any change to happen because at the moment we we've had years where we had you know last year where we came in undefeated we were you know an automatic pick and then we've had years where we had a couple losses and we weren't in the discussion we really haven't had a year where entering you know the the end of the season we're on the bubble we're like a questionable case 
And when that does happen, and when we, you know, end up on the wrong side, possibly because of, you know, the lack of a conference title, I think that's when any actual change or this discussion will actually become relevant. Guys, I feel like y'all need a history lesson real quick. Does anyone know why Notre Dame is independent? Anyone? Let's hear it. I do know, but I want to hear it from you. All right, well, it starts with that uh, cursed school up north, of which we should never mention their name, but just for today we will. All right, the University of Michigan. Minnesota. Fielding had a coach, Fielding Yost. Um, Notre Dame went and played them in 1909 um, and beat them at Michigan. And he was very angry, so he decided that he was not going to play the Irish next year. And he also decided to block Notre Dame's entry into the Western Conference, I believe, what is now known as the Big Ten. Um, a few years later, in the 1920s, same thing happened. Notre Dame tried to join the conference, and Yost blocked them and convinced all the schools in the Big Ten to not play Notre Dame. Um, so then Notre Dame had to look national. And they went out west to play USC, out east to play Army, um, and really took college football national because of all the uh, immigrants from Europe who were Catholic. It became Notre Dame was the Catholic team, um, and it really was the first time that college football had a national following on one team. So, in the spirit of history, Notre Dame shouldn't join a conference. If we join a conference, we become a regional team, a regional team in the Big Ten. The whole point of Notre Dame football is that we go beyond just one single region. You know, we go out west, we go out east, we'll go play wherever because we have a huge following wherever we go because of our great history. Just deciding to join the Big Ten so we could, you know, maybe get that one extra conference championship game is just not the answer. Um also, I would propose adding a 13th game and starting our season a week earlier than everybody else. That gets you a, a decent opponent. Add a decent opponent. Some, somebody who's not too good, somebody who's not too bad. Just get a, that 13th win on the schedule so then nobody can say anything. Are we allowed get to... Get a Purdue in there or question. something like that. Are we allowed to add a game like a week early? Yes, Hawaii does it. Yeah. Oh, Hawaii is allowed to play a 13th game because they have to travel so far from most of their games so they can play a, a 13th game, which is an extra game at home. So, like, there's precedent for it as well. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That's important. Because right. if you know if yeah. we started it, if we were the first team to do that, people would be flipping. They'd be like, you know, they got oh, yeah. special. <laughs> no doubt. But it's Notre been Dame done thing. before, and, and it's just it's the perfect solution because I don't want to see Notre Dame play a conference schedule in the Big Ten or the ACC – uh, I want to see us play our rivals. Like, what rivals do you just scratch off the schedule, you know? Because you have to play your conference games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're already obligated to play the six ACC games a year. But I, if they joined a conference, I wouldn't want to see them join the ACC. I think if they had to join one, it would be the Big Ten. Because then you could keep traditional rivals like Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, teams like that on the schedule while adding some, like, an Ohio State, a Wisconsin, a Penn State, like, good teams like that. But if you go to the ACC, you just lose, like, all, like, sort of Notre Dame identity. Like, who are the Notre Dame rivals in the ACC? Florida State, maybe, Boston College, kind of. But it's, like, there's no reason for them, I think, to join the ACC. Like, then then I agree with you, Montana. They lose their, like, identity. But I think in the situation in which they were to join a conference, if they can't add that 13th game, that the Big Ten would be the best option because then you have that balance of – playing some of your traditional rivals while also having that 
like 13th conference championship game that makes it easier to get into uh the playoff because I, I fear that Notre Dame will like sort of lose its national draw and pull if it can never make the playoff if it's consistently out of power and stuff like that. You don't think so? Completely disagree. <laughs> Piggybacking right, off of Montana's point, let's not forget that the conferences are were made to make more money on t- on TV deals. That's why they got all realigned in 2010 on TV deals. But I'll tell you that Notre Dame has no problems getting ratings. Um, the most watched game in the last 25 years was, this was in 1993, granted, but uh, number one Florida <laughs> State at number, number two Notre Dame. But then, then you look at the um, other high ratings of the last um, couple years, 2012 Notre Dame USC, 2014 Notre Dame Florida State. They never, they'll never lose getting national exposure and people wanting to play for them is what I, uh, is one thing I would say. And then also, uh, um, the 13th game, I think, hurts teams so much more often than it helps them, to be honest. Like, you look at Georgia, like, okay, so people will say, oh, um, in the year that Georgia missed, uh, so last year, yeah, uh, when Georgia missed it, um, they'll say Oklahoma played their way in, but really Georgia played their way out by losing their thirteenth game. So that game helped them. They were and they were in. They were in. Same this year, they were in at number four if they didn't have to play that thirteenth game. You know what I mean? I just think the thirteenth game really hurts you. And like I've said before on the podcast, what does it prove when you're beating when you're beating Pitt in the ACC or when you're beating Northwestern in the uh, Big Ten? What is that really proving about your team that nobody knew before? Like, look at this year, Clemson was three entering their 13th game. We didn't learn anything different, so they're still at three. You know what I mean? This year, Utah This year Utah gets hurt by playing their 13th game as well. I don't know if you could say, though, that Georgia was hurt this year by playing that 13th game. Like, I think if they don't play that 13th game and Oklahoma wins their conference championship, I think Oklahoma leapfrogs Georgia into that game. Like, there's precedent for that. Like, we've talked before, like, the very first college football playoff, um, Ohio State was the last team in at 12-1, and one. And they made it over to eleven and one co-conference champs in Baylor and TCU, because they um, that's before the Big Twelve had its uh, championship game. So there is precedent, and Ohio State leaped up above them because they beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship that year. So I think that's evidence that like that is the situation in which it helps, and not playing the thirteenth hurts. Yeah, and I think the the idea that it hurts is like, do you want to play your way in or not? Like, if you're going to lose in your conference championship game, if you, do, if you want to sit back because you're not confident that you can win a tough conference championship game, then, like, you're, you weren't going to, you know, win the championship anyway. So, like, if you're out there to be a team trying to prove that you deserve a spot in the playoff, like, why not play the conference championship game? Like, why not, you know, want to have that extra game against, you know, the toughest team in your conference? But what if we're in the ACC and we play Virginia and we lose to them? In a trap, like in a trap game, that that where, if you do that in week six, it doesn't hurt you. You know what I mean? Like, then then we don't deserve proving? to be on. Yeah. But hold on. But if you lose to Virginia, yeah. No, but are you saying if Clemson lost? Okay. Well, no. If you say Ohio State lost to Wisconsin, they don't deserve to be in that year. I I don't think anybody would say that. They would, would be eleven say. and two then. They would. No, losses. no, they wouldn't. They'd be twelve and one. No, 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 in 2014? No, I'm talking about this year. <laughs> oh, we're talking about this year. Okay, I thought we were talking about 2014 Yeah, no, again. I think Ohio, but Ohio uh, State was a different case. Like, that's a separate topic, right? That Clemson had no one on their schedule. Different? Clemson had no one on their schedule. That was their, t- like, essentially their toughest game of the season was Virginia. 
Like, if they lost that, that would have just been sad. They would have been out. Ohio State had, like, proven themselves as a, you know, dominant team. If they lose a game, they had still shown enough, I feel like, throughout the season to, to warrant a spot. But So then, but then if we join, if we join the ACC, then we're in the same position as Clemson, as well as, you know, and that's the conference yeah. we have to join if we join a conference. So I don't see where that helps us. Yeah, well, I would. I mean, I don't know how feasible it is, and it's probably not feasible at all. But like, I wouldn't want to join the ACC. I would want to join the Big Ten if we could join a conference. Which I don't know. We were in it for hockey, so there's like a foot in the door at least. But I don't know how likely any of that would be, or any of these scenarios are. But I don't know. Getting back to a point you made earlier about you don't think Notre Dame will ever lose its national appeal. Like, I feel like there there are signs of the cracks in that. Like, I this past year I was at. Um, the first ever non-sold-out game since the 70s. Like, that's a big deal that that happened. And, like, I think evidence of maybe a slowly waning fan base. But I'm uh, not sure. I don't know about that. If you look up the most expensive ticket in college football for the last three years, a Notre Dame game is on top of that list. Um, you had Notre Dame-Georgia, Notre Dame-Michigan, Notre Dame-Georgia last three years. And then if you go to even this year, we had two – um, away stadium set attendance records um, when Notre Dame came and played them, Georgia and Louisville. So if that doesn't say something, then then I don't know. The national appeal is there, and it's there to stick around if we don't join a conference. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. I agree with that. It was just that's I hadn't thought of before. Do you think the and national just, appeal it, is as strong as ever, though? Like, do you think it's as, you know... Like, I see it as something that's still very strong. Like, we're still a team that everyone knows, everyone gets excited about. But I feel like it has fallen to at least a small degree. And that's a, the, the whole, like, not selling out is a sign that, you know, it, it's not necessarily going to last forever or necessarily going to be as strong as it always was forever, you know? I agree. Um, that's when us just making another playoff or winning it finally... Um, you know, brings that appeal back up. Um, and hopefully, I would like that. Hopefully, we do that soon. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's been yeah, a while. I mean, like, Clemson, their first championship before a couple of years ago when they won it with Sean Watson was in the, eight, the early 80s. So, like, I mean, we're, and then now they're a powerhouse. So, I mean, th- it's possible that we could be on a similar timeline when a couple of years from now and then get back to that dominance. Because, like, there's definitely the potential for it there. Yeah. But who really knows? <laughs> And I just think if Notre Dame plays as well as a team like Ohio State in 2015 or Alabama in 2017, it doesn't. Conference championship matters when it do, matters, except when it doesn't. You know what I mean? I I just except if, unless you're Ohio State, Alabama. If Notre Dame gets to that threat, uh, gets to that echelon, then they're fine. Yeah, but I don't know. I just think like this year, like if Notre Dame goes 11 and one, and with their only loss being to Georgia or something like that, like, say we win that Michigan game, I don't think that they make it in over 12-1 and Oklahoma this year by the pure fact that Oklahoma had that extra game and extra conference championship. And, I mean, I guess that's all just, like, purely theoretical yeah. and stuff like that at this point, and, like, I can't base any sort of case on that. But I think that there's evidence in the past that that, like, conference championship and that extra win can serve as that tiebreaker, and it just makes me uneasy thinking that they have to go 12 and 0 every single year to make the playoff and like the odds of going 12 and 0 like you like you'll slip yeah. up once yeah. especially if you play good teams and it like frustrates me that they can't slip up and other teams can and still make it into the playoff yeah yeah well and i think even adding a 13th game is is not the same and that 
Like, it's not the fact that we're playing fewer games. It's not the fact that people are playing 13 as opposed to 12. It's the fact that they're playing a conference championship. And whether that's overweighted is, you know, another question. It very well might be. Like, it doesn't matter if we play have the same strength of schedule and played 13 games and someone else, you know, had the same exact record, you know, same opponents in general. If they win the conference championship, that will always be seen as more at the moment. So even if that 13th team was a ranked opponent, like someone yep. in the top 25, top 15, mm-hmm. you still think that? I think so, because we're not playing that last week of the season. Like, that's mm. the amount of teams that I feel like have the, you know, they love having the ability to, like, have teams leapfrog other teams or, you know, make a statement in that last weekend, you know? I feel like the, the selection committee loves the drama and is all for the, the conference championship changing things, but... Yeah, like I don't, I don't think, I don't necessarily if any, uh, I don't think any of this is necessarily right. Like I, like I don't know. You've mentioned before. I don't think that win over like two FCS teams that like (laughs) Alabama have is like particularly meaningful. But I think just looking at the system as it exists, like I think it would benefit Notre Dame to join a conference. So, Eddie Lip, we loved debating the college football playoff format so much that we wanted to tackle another. Again, problematic playoff format in the NBA playoffs, where, as Lucas just said moments ago, so many terrible teams from the East Conference, he used different words than that, from the Eastern Conference don't uh, make it into the playoffs with horrible records. We got to fix this system. Lucas, what do we do about it? Uh, I think a couple things. First, um, there is really just like, the gap between the top and the bottom of NBA teams that make the playoffs is ridiculous. In the last 10 years, only two eight seeds have knocked off number one seeds. Uh, the first being the Memphis Grizzlies in 2011, taking down the Spurs, which is just, you know, an impressive achievement. And the next being the Sixers in 2012. And that really only happened, you know, I love the Sixers, but it really only happened because Derrick Rose tore his ACL and the Bulls didn't have much more than <laughs> <laughs> Derrick Rose on that team. Um, and even beyond that, um, in the last 10 years, only one team, which wasn't seeded one through four has made the conference finals. And that was the fifth seed in Memphis Grizzlies in 2013. So you're putting these like fifth through eight seeded teams in the playoffs most years, and they make no impact whatsoever. It's just extra games for the players. It like drags out the season. There's no reason for it. And you just like, I don't know. It allows bad teams to squeak into the playoffs and make no impact and makes the playoffs as a whole less exciting, I feel like. And I feel like you can get good finals and conference finals, but those first-round games, aside from maybe a good maybe 4-5 matchup or 3-6 matchup, don't really contribute a whole lot to the process. So I think at a bare minimum, they need to cut down the playoffs to four teams from each conference. Um, I think that would, you know, it would shorten the playoffs. It would allow less teams in, but I think would increase the overall quality of play. And I think that this year is less of a problem because there's more parity between the conferences. Um, but in past years, like, there have been teams with, with winning records that haven't made it in the West and teams with, like, 36 and 46 records that have made it in the East. And I think the fact that that happens makes it conferences just force in bad teams. And I would be in favor of a system in which just like the top eight records overall made the playoffs and they just played against each other. So that is my thought. I don't know. You can agree or disagree. You're against conferences now, Lucas. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yes, Sorry in this case, I'm against <laughs> conferences, Jessica. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not conference consistent across my sports. And it's, uh, interesting yeah. that you, it's interesting that you don't like bad teams making it in um, the NBA playoffs, but you like bad teams making it into the college football playoffs, as well as the March Madness bracket, but that's a topic for another day. Well, because the, it, no, you know, I'll argue that in those sports that there's more parity between the teams than there is between NBA teams. Like, the the eight seed last year in the NBA playoffs, like the 41 and 41 Pistons last year who snuck into the playoffs as the eight seed and then summarily got smacked by Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks 4-0 in the first round. We're going to make no impact on the playoffs. The Celtics beat the Pacers 4 nothing. The Sixers beat the Nets 4-1. The Raptors beat the Magic 4-1. Like, none of these series were close, and they had no impact. Like, the only vaguely close first-round series last year was the... Well, not vaguely close. The, the Nuggets versus Spurs was the only one that went to seven games last year. Other than that, they were all not close. And I just... You put extra wear and tear on the players' bodies for no reason. And because there is such a gap between the top and bottom, like, there's never a chance, especially over a seven-game series, where that'll happen. But in March Madness, like, a, a one will be the 16th seed, like, almost all the time, but there is the possibility for, like, UMBC to win and beat UVA. Um, like, there's an in-that-one-game playoff. And I feel like that makes it exciting, but across the seven-game series, I don't think there's any reason to include yeah. the, the lower teams. No, and just the fact that, like, over 50% of teams makes the make the playoffs. Like, the playoffs are, like, a, a privilege. It's something you earn. Whereas, like, in the NBA, it's, like, most teams get there. It's not special. Like, there's nothing even, like, that exciting about making it as a 7 or 8 seed. Like, you know you're not going to win. Like Yeah, to add my two cents in, I'm not so sure it's a, a playoff issue rather than a just talent issue where all the talent's at the top because we're chasing rings, we're going to these super teams – um, and creating just a, um, a bad playoff when you have the one seed that has three superstars go up against the eight seed who has absolutely nobody and squeaked in, you know, because the conference maybe like in the Eastern Conference just wasn't too good that year. Um, there's got to be at least some sort of restrictions placed on the creation of super teams. Then the playoffs will get back to being watchable at least for the first few rounds. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair assessment, especially, like, like I feel like there, you either, like, fix the system or, like, change it to how the NBA is today. And I like the idea more of, like, fixing the system, like maybe a harder salary cap or a lower salary cap to, like, force more parity between the teams because then in, like, a 16-team playoff could work. But in the system where, like, you concentrate, like, so highly the players on a couple teams, like, what's the point in having those bad teams in it? Because you know just one of those good teams with the superstars is going to win. Yeah. No, I think, well, I think one thing, too, with the Western Conference is that it's so um, spread out geographically. Like, Oklahoma City is in the Northwest Division of the Western Conference. How's that? How does that happen? <laughs> so they, Did they just, like, I, leave I, yeah, that I over think... from the Sonics? Like... Yeah, like when they're like, let's not realign the division. No one will notice. Yeah, but then in the Pacific division, it's all California teams and Phoenix. So I I think like if they did it more, um, if they did it a little bit more, where they have like the American League West and National League West, that kind of stuff would be way more interesting. Or like AFC, they have AFC and NFC. I think it'd be way more interesting to have those types of to have that kind of division. 
um, rather than just east and west. I don't know. Then it's like it's so uh, regional, which I think is just kind of interesting. But western teams have to travel so much farther than east and the east coast yeah. teams do. Um, I unfortunately agree with you guys that there's no reason for eight <laughs> seeds to be yeah. in the. <laughs> to yeah, be I in mean the, the interesting. Yeah, the interesting thing about the proposal you raised, Lucas, about the just the top eight teams in general. I mean, that's essentially saying that like the conferences are dumb. You know, it's if the NBA were to do that, they would essentially be saying like we don't care about this anymore. And is that like a format worth preserving? Like, is that something that matters now in the NBA, East versus West? You know, it used to when it was Celtics versus Lakers, but like, yeah, I don't know. I don't see like any like sort of regional like fun with the conferences like at least in um in college football like it's fun to have the sec and like have all the teams down there play because like that matters like those games matter to teams down there or like the big 10 like those classic like games in like the tundra of minnesota in november like it's like the like those games hold classic and regional appeal but i feel like there's nothing regional about the nba like people don't care about the atlantic division championship I don't know, because I think it's a, there's less history of, like, those rivalries. Like, the conferences there were created for the purpose of necessity because in the 50s and 60s or whatever, it was hard to travel from New York to L.A. easily, so you just play teams close to you. But now that that's lost and those rivalries didn't have enough time to develop and really grow, like, the the big rivalries in the NBA or at least the big one, the Celtics and Lakers, isn't regional. Whereas I feel like in college football, like the conferences add a regional level to it that's meaningful to people. In NBA, I feel like they really don't. Well, I would say to counter that, that it's kind of a cultural difference, though, between Boston versus L.A., like Boston, the working class town, I guess, and L.A., the glitzy, glamorous town, I think is actually pretty interesting. I don't, like, I don't think that... Um, I think it is cool that there's like the the best in the West and the beast from the East to meeting in the finals. I think that actually is kind of a cool thing personally. Um, cause they, cause you can have teams that come from two different, uh, like cultural backgrounds in terms of the, the types of fan bases and stuff like that, that get to clash in those series. I think it's kind of interesting. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's just, it's fun to have East versus West, this conference versus that conference. And taking away conferences, sort of just jumbling everybody together, yeah. you lose that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No. I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of, like, a like a six-team per conference playoff where there's some kind of play-in for the last couple spots. Or, like, to, to mm-hmm. get into the, the semis, it's like a play-in a la the baseball's wild card game. Like mm-hmm. something a little more exciting. Yeah, yeah. That would be really fun. A one. And like, playoff. I don't. Yeah. Like I. Like, is that the best way to you know prove who's the best, who deserves to make it into that like top four or whatever? Maybe not, but it's it's fun and it's you know it's fun. Be, it would add stakes more, to yeah to some of those you know early round playoff games. But it's more exciting than seeing the Bucks sweep the Pistons ex- every yeah. year. Like, yeah. it is. You know. No, I like that. Um, best of seven in the first round, and even the second round, eh, it just doesn't get the job done because you know who's going to win. If you shorten that series down and somehow there's an upset in one game, you know, it makes it a little bit more exciting, a little bit more, you know, um, on edge for the, uh, for the favorite. 
Yeah, and oh, then yeah. and then if the favorite is taking care of their business, they have one less game to play or whatever. If it's best of five yep. instead of seven, yeah, that's that's what the MLB does too. You know, so yeah, that's yeah. maybe the MLB is the key right there, Aiden. Yeah. <laughs> just well, because like the system now just feels like yeah. bloated and like it, it, it exists is. for no reason. Like at least in the NHL, like eight seeds win, like all, like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the NBA, like, like, it's like yeah. In the NBA, they never do. So like, what's the purpose yeah. in having this team in if they don't win? Like, I think the NHL playoffs are great because like anybody can win and anybody can do well. But so it makes sense to have a large playoff because there is such like parity and anybody can do well. But in here, it just like feels like a cash grab. Exciting. Yeah, it just yeah. feels like there's trying to make money like it's yeah there, there's really no other way to look at it at the moment so <laughs> anyway that's what an eight-team college football playoff is too guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another discussion i agree for another you. day <laughs> <laughs> all right guys uh moving on from the nba playoff topic we'll now discuss what we think is the best nfl backup quarterback of all time um, this year has really been the year of the backup in the NFL. We have Teddy Bridgewater taking over for Drew Brees for a few games and winning all those games. We have Kyle Allen coming in from Cam Newton and going 4-0 and right off the back uh, and then kind of fading out. Um, we have Gardner Mishu, Mishu Mania in Jacksonville. It's been the year of the backup, so we're going to provide you with who we think is the best backup of all time. All right, cool. So, uh, I'll start it off. Um, I picked the one, the only, Nick Foles, uh, to be my greatest back of all time. He fits the role of backup quarterback. Um, a man who is never good at football unless he plays on the Philadelphia Eagles. He started off in 2013, 27 touchdowns, uh, only two interceptions, the best ratio in NFL history, if I'm not mistaken. Insane, but gets traded away, goes to the Rams doesn't succeed there goes to the Chiefs is thinking about quitting football and is convinced by former Eagles coach Andy Reid to stick with football and eventually goes to the Eagles takes a role as a backup to a young stud in Carson Wentz who leads the Eagles off to an 11 and 2 record before going down with an injury and Nick Foles comes in and doesn't miss a beat they make it into the playoffs number one seed they um breeze through the first round beat the Vikings in the NFC championship and Nick Foles is playing great along the way. They get to the Super Bowl. He's matched up against maybe the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. And he has the guts to call Philly special. Catches a touchdown pass, throws for some more, and leads them to a first-ever Super Bowl championship. And not only that, he comes back in the next year. Wentz gets injured again. At that point, he takes over a team that's 6-7. and seven, Little hope of winning the playoffs. They go on a three-game win streak. Uh, right when he comes in, beating the eventual NFC champs and the LA Rams along the way. They beat the Bears in the first round of the playoffs on a missed field goal at the end of the game by the Bears. And then he almost leads them back into the NFC championship, but is cut just short by the Saints. Ah. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Montana's Montana. team. Let's but, go. No, the Eagles, um, honestly, I don't think they'd have a successful last few years if it weren't for Nick Foles. He comes in, he leads them to a Super Bowl after basically having no expectations whatsoever um, on him. And so I think because of that lack of expectations, only really ever being good in his one previous season with the Eagles and then returning to that team and leading them to a Super Bowl and another deep playoff run, that's why I'm putting in Nick Foles as my best backup ever. 
All right, Aiden, do you want to give us your best backup ever next? Yeah, I went in a bit of a different, lamer direction uh, with with our our boy Aaron Rodgers. And (laughs) there are a couple different kinds of backups that we can think about, right? We have backups who are backups because they're, you know, second string, because they're not as good. Um, and that was, you know, what, what people thought of Nick Foles. And, you know, he, he rose above that at a point. But he's kind of, he's flip-flopped back and forth, right? And then we've got backups like Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garoppolo. Guys who are just kind of waiting in the wings and, you know, spent a while in their career being backups. I think Rodgers was a backup for three seasons, right? Maybe four. Garoppolo was, I believe, also three. These guys were sitting there, taking it in, had to deal with the fact that, you know, they were could be stars but were just hanging out on the sidelines and then kind of came in made some big moves and uh you know might be might go down as some some pretty historic quarterbacks <laughs> sounds good thanks for that aiden we're gonna move on to montana next who's gonna give his pick for the best backup ever guys i have kurt warner as the best backup ever um so in 1995, no NFL team take a chance on him, so he ended up in the arena lead with the Iowa Barnstormers. Uh, finally, at the end of the 97 season, the St. Louis Rams um, took a shot on him and sent him to the uh, NFL Europe lead at the time the, uh, with the Amsterdam Admirals. And then we have two years later in 1999, the Super Bowl winning greatest show on turf, uh, St. Louis Rams um, with Kurt Warner at the helm. He replaced Trent Green uh, for the 1999 season after Trent Green went down with an injury in the preseason. Um, through 16 games, he completed 325 passes for a completion percentage of 65.1%. Uh, he threw 41 touchdowns to only 13 interceptions, and the Rams uh, beat the Titans in the Super Bowl. So that's my greatest backup of all time, Kurt Warner. With a lot of these great backups, I think uh, Aiden mentioned it already, they end up becoming um, kind of the go-to guy. Agreed. Yep. I think those are all great picks. I went to a quarterback outside of the NFL, a.k.a. a catcher in the MLB. I went with career backup David Ross, um, who only ever played. Over, he only played a more than 100 games in a season one time in his career, so I think that qualifies him as a career backup. But he ended up, he ended up with two World Series rings, the first with the, um, with the Red Sox in 2013, um, where he actually started four games in that World Series stretch, amazingly. Drove in a game-winning RBI in Game 5, and then... Um, and he caught the last out in Game 6, too. So he was pretty involved. Um, then transitioned, didn't even skip a beat, to the Cubs, where he hit a home run in Game 7 uh, at age 39, becoming the oldest ever to do it. So he really ended with a bang, like, his last couple of seasons. He caught a no-hitter when he was with the Cubs with Jake Arrieta as well. So he really kind of had, like, a... Um, he did like decent, like in the middle of his of his career in two thousand nine. He led the league in uh, caught stealing percentage, and three seasons he was in the top ten for fewest amount of errors. So he he wasn't like he was a a good solid backup and ended up going out with a World Series ring, and then he finished runner up on Dancing with the Stars t- season twenty four. So this guy's a stud. You know what can I what say? What more? What more could you want out of a man? 
<laughs> he is my ideal man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. David Ross. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so now we're going to head on to our rant portion of the show where we each pick a topic that we're, we're feeling passionate about, feel maybe some, some anger or some joy about it and talk a little bit, um, express our feelings. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick us off. And we've, we've talked a, a lot already about the NBA today and how it's a little bloated in its playoff system. And I'm going to talk about a little bloat that they're planning on adding with the midseason tournament that is being discussed currently. Uh, by the the NBA league office, as you know, maybe maybe another way to to drum up some interest, you know, in the in the months of December, January, and this this kind of stems right from the fact that people find it difficult to care during the regular season because it doesn't really matter. The good teams, you know, are gonna be good. They know that it doesn't matter until they get to the playoffs, and the bad teams don't have much to play for except you know tanking for draft picks. So. The NBA solution for this, and the solution involves more money, which is convenient, is adding a midseason tournament that would, I think the, the current plan is to have round-robin play until it goes to a final eight teams that are going to play kind of knockout rounds, basketball, have crowned some kind of champion. It sounds like it'd be vaguely fun. As for any kind of purpose for it, that we are left wanting for, for any of that, uh, there's a cash prize associated with it. But as certain reporters have pointed out, the cash prize would not be enough to attract star players who are already making ridiculous amounts of money, who $1 million, a $1 million prize means essentially nothing at all. And I think the idea is to, is kind of soccer-esque in the domestic cup style, where, you know, the Premier League has like the FA Cup, Except there's some kind of tradition behind that. There, there's some kind of meaning in winning that title. Whereas there's no meaning in this mid-season tournament. They're trying to create that. The players don't seem to be taken to it. James Harden, for one, asked <laughs> when asked by a reporter about it, said, is this college? Which, you know, he's got a fair point. And is, at the end of the day, is anyone, you know, if you win the mid-season tournament, and then lose in the second or third round of the playoffs. Are you viewing that season as a victory? There's no way. So is there a purpose then in having that besides just some, you know, some fun distraction for a little while? No. So if they go ahead with it, fine, fun. But it just seems like a, another just kind of cash grab, you know, get people hyped for a little without any actual purpose to it. Maybe they Agreed. can play it in China. <laughs> in China to make, make amends because <laughs> we know they're quite desperate for yes. Chinese approval <laughs> I know right spawning for yeah. yeah 100% <laughs> they'll have the tournament in Beijing yeah <laughs> uh, LeBron will be front and center <laughs> yeah <laughs> ambassador to China shaking Xi Jinping's yeah. hand and promising <laughs> that they will <laughs> Oh my god, dude. I can't deal with it. I can't. I can't do it. Uh, Alright, I think it is Jared's turn to rant now. So I wanted to look at, um, with the new, in light of the new pass interference rule this year, and then Drew Brees um, setting the all-time passing touchdown record again. Or not not again, but um, setting the record with Tom Brady um, right behind him. I wanted to look at... How people, I remember um, when Drew Brees passed 5,000 yards in a season, everybody was like, well, there's got to be an asterisk next to this one because of 
because players are playing with their hands behind their backs now because of pass interference, which they kind of have a point when you look at the the previous um, rule changes in the league that previous quarterbacks had to play in. But also when you look at how many pass interferences have been called uh, and yardage-wise, it also kind of doesn't pan out. So I'll go into a couple numbers. All right, first, I'll go into history of the rules. Um, just so they and before 1974, you could just defenders could just destroy wide receivers. Basically, there was like very little regulation <laughs> on that kind of contact until 78, when they limited uh, contact to only within five yards. Then they they just really started to broaden out because they wanted more scoring. They're competing against other leagues like the AFL, the All America Football Conference. This was in like the 50s and 60s, but um, so they they were forced a little bit to like to accommodate scoring and accommodate offense so the defense kind of in in some ways has had to play without with their hands behind their backs um but when you look at the numbers when you look at pass interference numbers back in i just like kind of cherry picked a few a few from um previous years uh and so there was 258 pass interference calls back in uh, 1995 for 3989 yards which sounds like a lot right but then and then but then when you go all the way to let's say another random year 2004 there was only 177 so it's not like it's been progressing super high like every year and then same in 2018 it was 236 compared to 255 back in 95 so so it hasn't been like an upward trend like I thought it was going to be until you look at 2019 when there's already been 255 it's so it's probably going to beat the record of 258 in a season and they there's and those pass interferences have accounted for four thousand one hundred sixty five yards so far in this year, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And this, I think, it with the pass interference rule, with them being able to review stuff, it's gonna it's gonna go up. Um, and I'm sad to see that because <laughs> I because I, I like seeing defensive players actually actually being able to make contact with the wide receivers, and I think the game is just so tipped in the wide receivers' favor that's. It's kind of sad to watch. Yeah, Jared is a defensive yeah. back. Has personal feelings about this. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the NFL yeah. refs so need not, to keep their so flags next... away. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. They they need to change the rules though, so that and to to give defenders more contact. That's what what I think. So. Do you think? Do you think it's possible that refs are throwing more flags because it's a challengeable thing now? So they're like, you know, like, might as well throw it to be safe, even though nothing's being overturned. You know, because, like, the safer call... It's like when there's a fumble, right? Like, the safer call is to let it play out. Like, mm-hmm. in the in terms of pass interference, the safer call is to throw the flag, and then technically it can be rolled back if it's really bad. But, like, obviously that's not happening. So I wonder if that's part of the mentality or, you know, why it's gone up so much. Um, yeah. It could be. I also think it's because of the uh, of it, the yeah. tragedy of last year. I feel like everybody <laughs> just, yeah, nobody wants to miss a call anymore, so might as well yeah. just throw it, yeah. you know? Yeah, because yeah. that was so egregious, too, in the Saints-Rams game that, like, there's no reason a flag shouldn't have been thrown. So I think you're right that they, like, they don't want the stigma of having missed the call. Like, I feel like the stigma of making a call that maybe is, like, borderline versus missing a call that should have yeah. been called is, like, way worse, so... Yeah. But I think, a, and I think a bigger question that they hopefully, but may run, hopefully not, but may run into at some point, mm-hmm. is is do they want video replay to decide a game on a judgment call? Like how how unexciting is that? 
I, I can see one side where they're like, we got to get it right, but then it's also a judgment call, so it's really hard to tell. And if it comes down to the computer, like a computer screen telling us the answer. All right, we're going we're gonna to flip it over to Montana for his fiery rant this week. Let's go. All right, so my fiery rant has to do with the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, just to uh, you know, give a little context here, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but maybe I might have taken them minus two and a half this week. Versus the Eagles. <laughs> ah, rough one. But they were looked so good last week against the Rams. Just rolled over the Rams at home. And then, you know, they're going into Philly. But the Eagles are so banged up. You know, no Alshon Jeffrey. Um, no Nelson Aguilar. Jordan Howard. Lane Johnson. Just to name a few. I mean, the Eagles literally had nobody. And all you had to do was go up to Philly and put on a halfway decent performance to win. And we couldn't, you couldn't even do that. You couldn't do it. Um, it was so bad. Um, and my main thing with, with that game, honestly, it falls on Jason Garrett. They gave the ball to Zeke 13 times, only 13 rush attempts for Zeke. That is the Cowboys. The whole offense runs through Zeke. And you're going to only hand the ball to him 13 times in a game that you have to win. You have to win this game. Because, I mean, the Eagles aren't going to lose next week. Because I think they play the, the – yeah, they're playing the, uh, the Giants. So <laughs> they pretty much wrapped up the division. And the Cowboys are going to be sitting at home, you know, during the postseason because Jason Garrett couldn't um, figure out that he needed to give the ball to Zeke a little bit more. And even on Dak Prescott's part – Dak missed a few big throws in the game. It just was a whole lackluster performance. And now, well, they get what they deserve. They're going to be sitting at home. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Jerry Jones is frustrated, too. Well, I, I know. Oh, I heard we he's know chill he about it. I think, oh, yeah. wait. <laughs> I wouldn't have paid, let Jason Garrett Zeke. on the plane back home. I would have said walk. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have ordered him an Uber. Walk home. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Go. Did you hear about no. their plane, Montana? Yes, yeah, their plane. Got, <laughs> yes, it got delayed, right? Or, or it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, they had to get a new plane or something, right? Yeah. yeah. They said the plane was quote not viable, which I think is like the funniest way to describe it too. Yeah. Like also, Brandon Graham, the Eagles' defensive end, came out of the stadium chanting that to call Jason Garrett an Uber home mm-hmm. because he's right. Maybe even an Uber copter, which I learned exists today. Oh wow. It's not. It's not that much more expensive to take a helicopter to JFK Airport in New York than it is to just take an Uber. <laughs> when Aiden and I looked today, it was like $68 for an Uber to JFK and like $105 for an Uber copter. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't helicopter. even know that was a thing until just now. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by... No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Uber copter. <laughs> All right, so I will finish it off today with my rant, and my rant is basically just that there are too many bowl games to the point where it doesn't matter um, most of the small teams playing in them. They don't get good ratings. There's good evidence that these games don't sell out. It can be a nice consolation prize for the end, but what ends up happening is that there are more bowls than you can ever really do anything with, and they get a lot of absolutely ridiculous names out of them. (laughs) So, with Notre Dame playing in the Camping World Bowl, 
Um, a, a ridiculous name, if I'll say so myself, and a bull we've mentioned many a time before on this podcast. I thought it'd be fun for maybe not as much a rant, but just a, a fun end to the show to rank the different names that the Camping World Bowl has been called. A brief history. It started out in 1990 under the working title of the Sunshine Classic, but it was never called that. Um, the game that's played in Orlando, Florida, was previously played in Miami. Um, its first iteration was at the Blockbuster Bowl from 1990 to 93. It was in the CarQuest Bowl from 94 to 97. The Micron PC Bowl in 98. The MicronPC.com Bowl from 99 to 2000. The Visit Florida Tangerine Bowl uh, in 2001. The Mazda Tangerine Bowl from 02 to 03. The Champ Sports Bowl from 20, 2004 to 2011. And the Russell Athletic Bowl from 2012 to 2016. And since 2017, it's been known as the Camping World Bowl. So we'll start at the bottom of the list with the MicronPC.com Bowl, which was the name of the bowl from 1999 to 2000. This is just a ridiculous name. There's no flow to MicronPC. I don't even know what MicronPC is. It seems like a very niche sponsor. And it gets even worse by just tacking on the .com to the end of it. <laughs> it just seems like well, it's just already a bad name, and you just make it more bloated. I realized it was 1999. And, you know, it was the dot-com boom, but it's just a bad name for a bowl. There's really nothing redeeming about it. Sorry to the, the folks over at Micron PC, <laughs> but uh, I don't really I really know what to say. It was a bad name for a bowl game. Um, at 8, so second from the bottom, we're going with the Micron PC bowl. Same reasons, but it doesn't have that dot-com at the end, so it's a little better. At 7, we're going to go with the CarQuest bowl. Again, just a bad name. Not terrible but just kind of boring in there it happened from 94 to 97 after six is the camping world bowl which is i think a funnier name than the car quest bowl but it's a bit more unique it's got a bit more character so we'll put it in there at six we're gonna run through the last the rest russell athletic bowl at five standard sports related fine four visit florida tangerine bowl tangerine bowl sounds like a real bowl game it doesn't sound like some corporate creation like you have the citrus bowl you have the cotton bowl tangerine bowl sounds real but the visit florida is a bit long at the beginning we'll be getting to the other iteration of the tangerine bowl later three champ sports bowl maybe it's just because that's what i grew up as it being called but it's classic it's snappy it works second its first name being the blockbuster bowl again even though it is named after a company is a bit more of a fun flair to it it is both the company and it sounds like it's a fun exciting bowl and the best name ever was when it was the Mazda Tangerine Bowl. It has that short, snappy sponsor at the beginning of Mazda, and then it has Tangerine Bowl at the end, in which it sounds like a real bowl game. So I will go with the Mazda Tangerine Bowl as the best uh, iteration of the Camping World Bowl's name. Because nothing Finish says tangerines like Mazda. Mazda. <laughs> <laughs> it's like word association, like Mazda Tangerines. <laughs> Why, why are we playing at this bowl? Why? I have no idea. <laughs> also, when you go through... Yeah. <laughs> when you go through old, like, bowl game names, it reminds you of how many businesses fail. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's hard out say. there. Micron, <laughs> like, and Micron uh, filed for bankruptcy. In oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> they spent all their money on sponsoring bowl games. <laughs> Like, I feel like just pick any bowl and it'll have been named something ridiculous in, like, 1999 <laughs> and the dot-com boom. Yeah. Oh, God. And on that note, 
we are going to draw this episode to a close. I hope all you listeners have a very awesome Christmas. We will have one more episode before the... And Hanukkah, sorry. And we will have one more episode before the new year, so please stay tuned for that. Merry Christmas, everyone, and thank you guys for joining Aiden, Montana. Lucas, thank you guys. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.